Welcome to Weight Loss and Wellness for Real, the podcast where people like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the physical and mental weight so you can feel better and live the life you want in the body and mind you want. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating, overeating, binging behaviors, and move to a place of freedom with food and your body, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all doing great today. And if not, I hope you are making small, little, tiny changes every day to get yourself to that space of doing great. Today's episode is all about anxiety and worry and fear and how to break this cycle of this type of habitual thinking. I'm going to talk a little bit about my own personal struggle with anxiety then move on to what exactly anxiety is, how it manifests into our lives and also those around us. And then towards the end, I'm going to talk about how to begin to change this type of thinking. As always, I'm going to give some very practical strategies that you can begin to implement today. So as I said, this is kind of a personal issue that I've worked with since I was very little. I really didn't realize I was dealing with anxiety until my mid-20s, but when I figured it out, um, when I kind of recognized what was going on, and that was actually because I was studying psychology, um, and so as I was learning, you know, I was putting two and two together, and I was like, oh my goodness, um, I think this is exactly what what has been going on with me all my life. But when I kind of recognized what was going on, I could look back at my childhood and really see that all the uncomfortable, the fearful feelings I experienced going to school every day, um, worrying about every interaction with every classmate and teacher, not being able to make it through sleepovers. I was never able, um, I think I made it through one maybe in fourth grade, but I always had to go home. I just wanted to be home. I just felt afraid. Um, Things like always wanting to be alone at my home, constantly thinking about failing. Um, I had lots and lots of thoughts about failing school or doing things wrong. And then physically, I was often really, really sick to my stomach um, more often than normal and could never figure out why. So, you know, when I kind of looked back, all these things fit into um, that puzzle and, and came up with the conclusion like, that, oh yeah, you know, this is anxiety that I'm dealing about. So, or dealing with. So when I recognized what was going on, I really began reading and studying everything I could about how to manage it. So I started things like um, exercising. I started running. Um, I started doing some meditation, mindfulness stuff. Um, I worked on a lot of techniques that were offered at the time, like um, thought stopping. So just trying to stop my ruminating thoughts, um, using distraction techniques. But over the past 20, 25 years or so, I've learned more and more about anxiety in the brain and what is actually happening in the brain when we experience anxiety. And from this, from this study, I've, I've realized distraction techniques, thought stopping techniques, um, the over exercising, uh, that I was trying to do to make it better, um, really did not work very well. What did work best and, and also what still does work best because I still 
work with anxiety in my life, you know, it doesn't all go away forever and always. And this is actually a good thing. We don't want all of anxiety to go away. It does serve a purpose in our lives in some ways, as long as it doesn't get out of control. Um, but the things that really have worked for me and, and worked for my clients over the years are um, things of allowing it, like really allowing it to be there, not distracting from it, being okay with it, being a part of me, like really doing a lot of work um, to get to a place where, it, you know, really feeling like this is okay that this is here. So that's a lot of allowing. Um, when people talk about accepting, like, can you get to a place of acceptance? That's what we're talking about there. Like being okay with it, being a part of me, um, getting curious about it and then being very kind and compassionate in my self-talk. Uh, mindfulness, prayer, breathing, healthy eating, healthy amounts of movement, all these behavioral interventions work um, well too. But, but the key to really getting to the root and changing the habit of worry or anxious thinking or anxiety, the symptoms of anxiety, um, is really comes from allowing being curious and then being kind. Okay, so anxiety is a is a real problem and definitely not something made up. It it is a mental health issue, but it's also normal. And this is really important to grasp this concept in order to get good at allowing it and accepting it. So understanding anxiety is normal. Just because you feel anxiety or you deal with anxious symptoms, this this does not mean anything is wrong with you. It's very normal. It's how um, our brain is designed in order to help with trying to keep us out of situations that are harmful. Um, you know, there are reasons we need to feel fear and, you know, the it Everyone deals with it on some level, so it is normal. It only becomes an issue or a disorder if it's severe. So, you know, you can think of it on a continuum. You know, there's like low grade, low levels of anxiety, and then you can go all the way to the other side where it's extremely severe and people can't leave their homes, you know. So it, it can be um, that debilitating and prevent some people from living a normal life, um, but the low levels are very normal. Anxiety makes people experience fight or flight or freeze reactions and stress to issues that are not life-threatening. So most people who have anxiety wish they did not have it. They worry about their anxiety being a burden to other people. Um, Anxiety is treatable and there are ways to live with a normal level of anxiety if you're used to living with a high level of anxiety and, and want to shift some of that. So I really wanted to do an episode about this as it is so predominant in so many of my clients. And like I talked about my own life personally, I have watched it increase in people in particular this past year. And um, our national mental health statistics uh, show this same incredible increase. In fact, there was so many more in this past year. I'm, by the way, I'm recording this um, in the spring of 2021, so we've just come through or still going through a pandemic, and um, the the medication prescriptions for. Um, you know, anti-depress SSRIs basically to help with anxiety and depression 
were through the roof. In fact, there was a shortage back, I think it was last June after the pandemic had been going on for about three months. So, um, so anyway, it's just, it's a very huge issue happening right now, but, um, has always been going on as well. So, uh, I'm going to talk about anxiety in general in this episode, but I know many of you listening, listen to this for weight loss and health. And if that's you and you want to know how it relates, um, to weight, Uh, It can be as simple as this. Those with anxiety will often use food or drink to self-medicate. So food and drink allow the person to check out momentarily. And And the pleasure from food, from drink, that dopamine, that immediate dopamine hit creates a momentary break in the cycle of worry and anxiousness. And this feels really good to finally relax, to feel relief from the rumination in the brain. And so the brain latches onto, okay, we need to eat more and more to get my person feeling more relief. And so the overeating continues. And this is one way how anxiety and overeating or overdrinking go together. So if you're listening to this to help with health habits and or weight loss, know that if you deal with anxiety, if you start to work with anxiety, lessening it does help bring about weight loss. I've had many clients where we don't really, we don't work on changing behavior habits around food um, or anything like that. We simply just work on starting to manage anxiety and the pounds start coming off automatically. Okay, so let's move on and talk about exactly what symptoms come along with anxiety and what to do about it. There are lots of anxiety disorders listed in the DSM-5. Um, a few of them, generalized anxiety disorder or GAD. Uh, there can be panic disorder, you know, where panic attacks are taking place, um, PTSD. Symptoms of anxiety are things like that stress is out of proportion to the impact of the event. So it's like stress over and, and above what actually happened within the event of the day. Um, an inability to set aside worry, to table it for a while, like it comes back, it keeps repeating itself. Restlessness, hypervigilance, irritability. And by the way, if a child or adolescent deals with anxiety, irritability is often the main symptom, just something to think about. Um, There's lack of concentration, racing thoughts or unwanted thoughts. I often have clients um, who come in who believe they have ADHD, but in reality are suffering with anxiety. So this is actually this is because you know they're they're presenting with these racing thoughts, with um, inability to hold attention. There's thoughts everywhere, and and this is actually a big issue because often they're medicated for ADHD. Not by me. I don't do the medication thing, but you know, by their doctor or psychiatrist who can prescribe meds, which which actually then makes the anxiety worse. So their symptoms actually get worse because they're on an ADHD med, thinking that they have ADHD, but because they don't, because it's actually anxiety. This ADHD med actually makes the anxiety worse. Um, there can also be. Uh, feelings of fatigue. Often people who deal with high anxiety are tired a lot. Um, Low energy, feeling weak, feeling there is impending doom. So constantly worried that the other shoe is going to drop or worry that something bad is going to happen. 
Uh, a lot of people with anxiety deal with insomnia, not being able to sleep well, uh, physical symptoms, things, things like nausea, palpitations of the heart, trembling, feeling nervous, breathing rapidly. And by the way, this is why practicing a particular breath pattern can actually help resolve anxiety. Um, so anxiety symptoms can hap- happen in waves consistently, or it can be both. People who deal with high anxiety can have periods of time where they don't have any symptoms at all. So it, it's not, anxiety itself, it's not logical or rational. It, it causes, like all logic kind of flies out the window when anxious thoughts are going on. It, it causes people to worry about something despite there being no evidence to, to suggest that it's worth worrying about. So this is where irrational behavior comes into play. Anxiety often is future thinking. Um, it's that what if thinking, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? This is also why using strategies to drop into the present moment can help so much. We're, we're going to talk about that a little bit more later, but if you can be in the present moment more often, you are not in that future thinking, that what ifing that drives the anxiety. A- another big thing that I learned about early on in my life is anxiety is a really huge disruptor of relationships. So those of us dealing with anxiety, working with anxiety, even struggling with high anxiety, um, often don't understand how this affects everyone else around us. We think it's just us dealing with it in our minds, but, but the truth is, you know, it's radiating out and it absolutely affects those around us. So if you suffer with anxiety, recognizing how it affects your relationships with your significant others, with your kiddos, with your friends, your family is really worth diving into and understanding. Um, Sometimes when a client recognizes how their anxiety creates tension in the household, uh, you know, it's things like it, it forces others to be on high alert and walk around on tiptoe so the person dealing with anxiety is not triggered. If you're in a relationship with someone with high anxiety, you might find it's difficult to connect deeply with this person. Um, They're often, people with anxiety are always trying to find control, right? So control, when a person dealing with severe anxiety finds control in something or has a sense of control, that anxiety lessens for a moment. So you know, someone with anxiety kind of learns, usually very unconsciously, to try to gain control in any situation. And and this will alleviate the anxiety for a moment. So if you can think about living with someone like this, typically the person with high anxiety is trying to control every little thing, you know, many things within the family environment, within the relation, within the relationships. And so the other person in the relationship feels controlled or or suffocated almost, and the partner with anxiety will often worry about their significant other cheating or leaving them, or um, if you're dating someone in a relationship who who deals with anxiety, high anxiety, it's likely um, that partner spends a lot of time worrying and ruminating on everything that could go wrong or already has go to, gone wrong. You know, they're asking things constantly like, what if they don't love me as much as I love them? What if they're lying to me? What if they're hiding something from me? What if my anxiety ruins the relationship? That's where the person is having anxiety about anxiety. And this happens a lot, by the way. <coughs> 
They're asking things like, why don't they text me back right away? Oh my goodness. I, there are so many times I, I hear people talk about, well, I texted them and they didn't text me back until the next day. Um, man, if there was one thing I wish we could, oh, I don't know, wipe away or get out of our minds. It's this idea that um, when someone, you know, when I text someone that they're supposed to respond immediately, that's the weirdest thing to me. I often don't respond for 24 hours, um, sometimes more, but I don't think anything of it. And I don't think anything of it when I text someone and they don't text me back right away. I just figure they're busy like I am um, or not looking at their phone or whatever it is. But man, I hear this a lot. So much anxiety when the person doesn't get a text back, even within an hour, like freaking out that the text didn't come back within an hour. Anyway, it's a little bit of a tangent. Um, often people with high anxiety will test their partner's commitment by using insecure strategies. So they'll kind of set them up to try to get them to, um, really help them feel more secure or safe within the relationship. So they'll often be controlling, overly critical, and they'll have avoidant or passive behavior And then there's a lot of perfectionism as well. So these sort of things can really be heavy on a relationship. And here's how it can manifest with our relationships with our kiddos. Our our kids look to to us, to parents, for information about how to interpret situations, how to interpret the world. So if a parent seems consistently anxious and fearful, the child is going to determine that many scenarios in the world are unsafe. So there's evidence that children of anxious parents are more likely to exhibit anxious symptoms themselves, and anxiety does tend to run in families. So typically, if there's one parent with anxiety, the child will also suffer with anxiety. A child with anxiety is going to start avoiding whatever brings on those anxious feelings. So if, if here's an example. If the child's afraid of the dark, they might insist on sleeping with the lights on. If they have a fear of failure, they're going to avoid trying new things. And and so here is where children really need to be encouraged to master skills and and um, and face their fears. And, and this is what leads to competence. So when these children are not encouraged to, to, to de- develop these skills or not given, um, not given that autonomy to cope with challenges on their own, uh, you know, this would be where there's some helicopter parenting going on. This really does lead to an inferiority complex, lack of self-confidence and high anxiety. So one of the very best ways to help your child who is exhibiting anxious symptoms is to manage your own stress and anxiety. And through this, it actually helps your kids manage theirs. All of this is, it's, I'm not saying this to make us all feel guilty, but to explain how anxiety is not just one person's issue. It, it seeps into all of our relationships and it is also a reason to learn how to manage it. I often get clients who, you know, they're not in a good space with themselves and so they're not really motivated to work on this for themselves, but if they have kids or they have a significant other or family or friends they deeply care about, when we talk about how their anxiety kind of rolls out into all their relationships and affects other people, 
often that will be motivation for the person to start to make some changes. They won't do it for themselves, but they will do it for these people that they love. And that at least is a start. I mean, obviously the end goal is to get the client to have a really good relationship with themselves and enjoy themselves and um, care about themselves. But in the beginning, sometimes it's a good motivation to get them started. So here's an idea that often people don't understand about anxiety. It is often driven in sort of this habitual process. So there were studies done way back in the 80s that um, speak to this and uh, really kind of prove this, that, that anxiety is really driven by a habitual thinking process. So many of us who have been worrying or have that anxious personality We've been thinking in a certain way forever and ever since we were children. Um, Or it could have been a traumatic event that happened. And from that point, you know, the the thinking has really been in this habit, this this habit of this type of thinking that brings on anxiety. And this creates a pattern, a habit of thought. And over time, this type of thinking, because it's a habit permeates our lives constantly. So the rumination of thoughts is now the norm. It's the it's the normal mode for our brain because it's been such an, a habit. It's gone on and on and on. Not the once in a while type thinking um, that comes in, you know, even for mentally and emotionally healthy uh, people. What I really want you to hear is that for many of us, Worry is a habit. It is a habit of thought. And if it's a habit, it means we need to work on breaking the habit of worry to change it, to lessen it. So there can be hours and days where we analyze and we overanalyze and we overthink to ourselves, um, something is wrong with me or I need more psychotherapy or, or whatever it is we're replaying our past or our um, our brain is, is replaying the past and projecting into the future. And it really, like how I think of it, it is this type of thinking really, it, it like tightens us all up. It, it's like this super tight wound up ball and it's stressed out Um and, and the key to understanding this is that the process, the thinking process, the habit of thought, this is optional. So it's not a survival mechanism. This, the brain has created a habit of this kind of thinking, and that's all it is. It is simply a habit of thought, and it's optional. Can I learn from the thing, and can I move on instead of wallowing it? wallowing in it. And and so really understanding this type of thinking, it's truly optional. And I'm really making a point of that because if you're dealing with this, I know the way often people who deal with this think it's not optional. I can't stop thinking. I'm just thinking that way. I am telling you it's optional. So let me give you an example. I had a client who had thoughts while um, driving that they were going to drive off the highway. By the way, this is really normal um, for people with high anxiety. Driving all, often brings on a lot of anxiety. And so the thoughts start and a lot of people will have thoughts like, I'm going to drive off the highway. They think about driving off the highway or they think about running into a bridge or 
Anyway, this happened over and over with my client where she eventually could no longer drive on the highway because she was afraid she was actually going to drive off the road. So we worked on her becoming more aware and and mapping out this anxiety loop, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Um, Worrying drives anxiety. So working on reconstructing your thoughts through awareness and then practice of some skills, changing the habits of thoughts, she was able to stop that type of thinking while driving most of the time. And if the thought did pop up, She knew exactly what to think on purpose to shift the thought. So the anxious feelings, the anxiety did not course through her body. Remember, thought triggers a feeling. Every feeling comes along with a physical sensation in our body. Remember, feelings have little chemical cocktails that affect us physically. And from the feeling sensation, our behaviors are chosen. So understanding that even something like this, a thought pattern like this, that really contributes to this high anxiety feelings and therefore she literally could not drive anymore, um, can be changed. It can be shifted. So I want you to think about, you know, fear is a protective mechanism designed. It really is important. It's designed to protect us from danger and it is key to our survival. So you don't really want fear to altogether go away. Unfortunately, though, both real and imagined threats can trigger the fear response and keep the anxiety cycle going. So, you know, the problem comes in when we have fear all the time about things that are just imagined. It's not really happening. And that's where anxiety gets going. So anxiety disorders that lead to panic attacks can spiral out of control when the fear of fear trumps the actual reality of the situation. So panic attacks typically come from you're afraid that you're afraid. You know, you're you're afraid that you're experiencing anxiety and this ramps up the anxiety and triggers those panic attacks. So in, instead of being fearful of an actual threat, the fear response kind of hijacks the brain, takes it over and creates the neurobiological sensations of fear even when in reality there is no real threat and nothing to be afraid of. And when it comes to panic attacks, it's helping clients practice the skills and learning to understand, you know, if you can interrupt that that the the fear, the being afraid of having a panic attack or being afraid of having anxiety, if you can help them recognize and really um, start to practice just going through a panic attack, understanding they're not going to die, all those sorts of things, that's actually when the panic attacks start lessening in frequency and intensity. We're going to, I'm going to speak on that a little bit more in relation to high anxiety, not just panic attacks. Uh, Brains are driven to learn habits. So we've talked about this many, many times in past episodes. Habits are an efficient way to learn behavior. So your brain is always looking to put thoughts and behavior into habits because it's way easier than it doesn't take as much energy for the brain to engage in those things. So if, if we're not aware of something, if we're not aware of our thoughts, if we're not aware of our behaviors, we are going to continue to just go along with the habits of thoughts and behaviors. So if, if you overeat, I'm not going to tell you to just stop it. I'm going to tell you to keep doing it, but start to pay attention as you do it. Be aware, be mindful while it's happening. This is why I often teach people mindful eating. Um, 10 to 15 times of paying attention to overeating actually shifts the reward of the behavior. 
So awareness reduces the reward of the unwanted behavior. More awareness, the more awareness you have, your brain recognizes, okay, that behavior is not actually a reward. So for the habit thought that creates anxiety, for the habit of worry, it's the same protocol. Curiosity and kindness are the two things that diffuse anxiety. When you're curious, that brings about awareness. When you're kind, it, it brings about allowing. And, and if you don't remember anything from this episode, remember those two words, curiosity and kindness. They are key to breaking the cycle of anxiety. So let's talk about how do we create curiosity and kindness for ourselves to reduce anxiety symptoms. The first step is to become aware and to create and just to create more awareness. So it might be things at first um, you notice you're feeling anxious, and then you want to drop into your body. By the way, if you've suffered any um, trauma to the body, um, violent crime, um, rape, um, any sort of physical trauma to the body. Uh, you know, this is, you don't want to drop into the, you want to work with a professional to help get you into a space of feeling safe first before you do these techniques. But for those of you who are simply just dealing with worry thoughts and, and anxiety on a high level, move into your body at that moment. And we've talked about some of these protocols for how to drop into your body in the moment, but that would be through breath, a breath, a breathing technique, or you can use the five senses technique. Remember the five senses is where you just immediately go into um, your five senses. What am I seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, or you know, sensing, um, and smelling and and this allows you that that technique allows you to drop into the body so um okay i'm feeling anxious where do i feel the anxiety in my body and going through those things next step allowing allow the anxiety to be there do not try to push it away do not say things like i hate you or i wish this wasn't happening when you when you do this when you talk to anxiety that way when you try to wish it away when you struggle against it this is when you set up for yourself more of a struggle with anxiety the struggle makes the anxiety intensity uh, intensify and happen more often so stop pushing it away or distracting from it instead open up and allow it to be there. Next comes awareness. Um, so mapping out your anxiety loops, I mentioned this um, a little bit earlier, but mapping out your anxiety loops on purpose. So writing them down. So it would be things like trigger thoughts or feelings um, and then the behavior of that. What's the result or the reward? So what is your trigger thought? Okay, what was the thought that started the feeling of anxiousness, of anxiety, and what's the result? What did you get out of it? Writing these things down, this process helps to slow down your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and that's what we're looking for. We are looking to slow down those things and create some space between the anxious thoughts, between the worry thoughts. Um, so example might be, okay, anxiety triggers me to stress eat, and the stress eating makes me feel more guilty, and so it reduces um, so it reduces that urge to overeat once you're aware because your brain is recognizing 
okay, the stress eating, the overeating may feel good in the moment, but actually over time, it makes me feel more guilty. It's not serving me. So awareness can help bring that self-regulation to our behavior. Um, Next thing to ask is, is this habit serving me? Is this thought habit serving me? Is this worrying serving me? Is it helping me? This is where you get curious. Get clear on how the behavior is rewarding you right now. So eating candy and cake when when we're eight years old might have been extremely rewarding, right? Um, It was fun. We were celebrating. Maybe it was a birthday. It made us feel good. Okay, but how do you feel about it now, overeating? How does it feel now? How does it feel after? May feel, you may say it feels amazing. Feels amazing in the moment. But I want you to go further. How does my body feel when I overeat? Um, What do I feel an hour later, the next day? Is this this worrying? this is another example. Is this ruminating thinking, this worrying serving me? Is it helping me? Is worrying about something in the future that hasn't happened, is it serving me? Is it helping me? How is it rewarding right now? By the way, worrying for people can be really rewarding in the moment, just like overeating in the moment can be rewarding. Many people um, do get that reward by worrying. It gives them this feeling they are doing something, like they have this sense of control because they're doing something, even when this behavior is actually perpetuating the cycle of of anxiety, of high anxiety, of worry. Um, So really getting curious. Is this habit of thought serving me or helping me? Is worrying serving me or helping me? And the answer sometimes in the moment is yes, but then go beyond that. What what does it do in an hour from now? You know, well, it makes me feel exhausted. It makes me not be able to engage wholeheartedly in my relationships because I'm constantly wor- worrying or thinking on something else, right? Same thing with overeating. Yeah, it feels really good in the moment, but an hour later I feel horrible or ter- or physically I feel terrible because I'm so full, whatever the things may be. So, so this is really where you want to ask the question. You get curious, is this serving me? Is it helping me? Okay, and then the next one, what's the better offer? So I want you to think about intrinsic rewards. They have to feel better than the old behavior. So you really want to cultivate some things that feel good intrinsically inside of you that are coming from inside of you and not from the outside world. So kindness and curiosity actually rank really high here. Um, Feeling or cultivating kindness towards yourself, being curious, these sort of things feel better and they feel more open and expanded. Remember when I talked about that high anxiety, that worry, you know, it's like that feeling of tightness kind of curled in a ball, like so tight, right? Kindness and curiosity, when we cultivate those feelings, sort of create this more openness and expanded feeling. So when we're feeling anxiety, instead of distracting ourselves or behaving in ways to reduce it, like overeating or over drinking, you actually want to turn towards it. You want to get curious about it, get curious on how it feels, how does it feel in your body, and then feeling kindness and compassion to yourself to open you up um, 
And if you have a hard time with this, many people do, one thing you can do here is imagine what you felt like when someone was kind to you. Go back to a memory of someone, of of an instance when someone treated you kindly and then truly visualize it and feel the feeling. You know, your brain doesn't know when things are truly happening or not. So you going back to a memory where someone was kind to you and you felt that feeling, that's what you want to do. Visualize the moment and really allow your body to feel that feeling. Okay, next thing to ask, what needs need to be met here? Um, and, And this is compared to what do I want, okay? This isn't necessarily about what I want in the moment. It's more asking the question, what need do I have right now that needs to be met? If if I replace my worrying and my anxiousness with kindness and compassion and curiosity towards myself, what happens? What's the result of that? So to the brain, this is huge. It feels way better to feel kindness and to feel connected. Um, so, so here's an example, you know, let's say your behavior that you really want to shift um, is I'm ruminating or worrying about what's going to happen, something that's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if it is, but I'm worried it's going to. Okay. So I want you to think about what triggers it. What, what thought started it? What behavior started it? What, what's something in your outside world that triggered that thought? Get curious. Then ask yourself, what do I get from it? What's the reward? What, what, am I, what reward am I getting from worrying, 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 ruminating, ruminating, ruminating about this thing that may or may not happen tomorrow? What's the reward? We talked about this a little bit. For many people, the reward is that in that moment, they feel like they maybe have a sense of control or because they're doing something, they're worrying. Okay, so answering those things is gonna help your brain become more and more dis- disenchanted, I guess I would say, with the behavior. So, you know, when you're really questioning, um, you know, what do I get from it? What's the reward? Well, immediately I maybe feel like I'm doing something. But if you go further, you, you'll you get into, okay, but I'm not really doing anything productive here. Worrying does nothing. It's, it's literally... Um, like you're just sitting, I've heard the, the thing, you're just sitting in a rocking chair, rocking back and forth. You're not going anywhere. So if, if you really get good at being curious and honest with yourself, you know, the idea would be you get to a place of this worrying is doing nothing. In fact, it's going to contribute to me not sleeping tonight. It's going to contribute to me overeating later. Um, so you really want to get into that. And, and when you, you start, coaching yourself in that way and going through that thought process, your brain becomes more and more disenchanted with the behavior. All of a sudden the brain is like, oh yeah, okay, this isn't really working for us. Um, In fact, it's producing these really negative, uh, anxious symptoms that we don't want to experience. And that's when we open up to being kinder with ourselves. Remembering that struggling against anxiety, hating anxiety, wishing it was gone, pushing it away, only makes it build stronger. It it makes it get bigger. Learning to allow for it, accept it, getting curious, and then getting kind and compassionate with yourself and your anxiety is actually what lessens its frequency and intensity. Curiosity and kindness towards yourself truly is your new superpower and the new habit that we want to cultivate. Okay, 
I hope you can take something from all that to begin work on managing your anxiety, those anxious thoughts, and creating a new life of freedom and passion uh, for things that are happening in your day-to-day life, that present moment. Remember too that you know, if, if you're really suffering with anxiety, like having a hard time functioning, um, or you just, this, this sort of thought work is kind of hard for you. Um, working with a good therapist can be really, really helpful and, and move you quicker through your journey with anxiety. You know, if you feel you can't manage it, it's affecting your ability to function in your day-to-day life, then working with a professional really can be very, very helpful. Okay, if you found anything useful from this episode, would you please take the time to subscribe to this podcast and maybe even give a review? Um, Five star would be great if you feel uh, it was earned. When you subscribe, you'll be sure to get the newest episodes every time they're released, usually uh, once a week. I think I've only missed one week so far. All this really does help me keep the episodes rolling out and continuing to share information from this platform. Um, I would also just ask more than anything, if you think this might help somebody uh, to share 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 the link with them, um, give them the information. Uh, I really am on a mission to try to help as many people as I can in this space. You can also head over to my social media for more resources. Instagram is Heinen Counseling and Coaching. Heinen is spelled H-E-Y-N-E-N. Um, best way to get a hold of me would be to go to my website, heatherheinen.com. And you can click on a link to email me from there. Um, And if you also go to my website, you'll get a lot more information um, on how I work with my clients on a one-on-one level. Okay, I really appreciate you being here and listening. Hope you take the time to implement, implement one small behavior and or thinking strategy this week to start to change your life. Thanks for listening. I hope you are finding something useful from these episodes and this podcast. And if so, please share it with someone else in your life you feel it could benefit. This podcast is also now monetized. So if you really feel you are getting a lot from it and want to help keep it going, please go to the episode show notes. You can just scroll down from wherever you're listening. You'll see a description of the episode And then you will see it says support this podcast and then there's a link you can click on. You can click on that link and that's where you can support the podcast. Even the smallest donation like 99 cents helps to keep me producing the podcast. And to those of you who have donated, I really, really appreciate the support. I really do appreciate all of you listening and sharing the space with me. Again, just very thankful for all of you. Did you know you can find a lot more help from me on my website? Go to heatherheinen.com. Heinen is spelled H-E-Y-N-E-N. And get in touch with questions on all things I offer, like online courses for overeating, weight loss, goal attainment, and also my coaching and counseling services. 
Just a reminder that this podcast represents my own opinions. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your doctor or healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have.